Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh, as always, joined by my man, Amin Hassan from SiriusXM NBA Radio, also the host of the Cinephobe podcast, where he and Zach Harper watch bad movies or poorly rated movies on RottenTomatoes.com and then try to ascertain whether it's accurately rated or that movie got a poor shake. Amin Hassan, what's going on, man? No, not much, man. You know, you could just throw me the alley-oop and say, hey, what's that Cinephobe podcast about? And I, I've got that spiel down to a science now. Well, I mean, I'm trying to get it down to a science. I am the pupil trying to master it like the teacher. Come on, man. Oh, but Tom, it is a sweet science, much like the sweet science of boxing. I mean, I watched this documentary ahead of time. Mike Tyson the documentary, The Knockout, on ABC on Tuesday nights. Part one already aired on Tuesday night. Part two is Tuesday, June 1st. You can also f- catch it on Hulu on Wednesdays, The Knockout, the Mike Tyson documentary. Wait a second. You want to talk about this documentary? I thought we were going to talk to Jerry Ferrara, my good friend. What, where, when's that going to happen? We're going to do Jerry Ferrara after the Tyson stuff. I mean, come on. Oh, we got to get to the good stuff okay. first, the, the historical stuff. The Mike Tyson, we're going to learn. We're going to educate ourselves about Mike Tyson, the story, and coming up in Brownsville and everything, the icky stuff, the great stuff, the amazing stuff, the baddest dude on the planet. We got to talk about Mike Tyson first. Boom. Welcome to Mike Tyson's world. The staggering documentary event premieres Tuesday night, May 25th on ABC and next day on Hulu. I got to be honest. I was born in 86. I mean, so when I watched this Mike Tyson documentary, a lot of it is before I knew Mike Tyson as like over the hill Mike Tyson. So I'm watching this for the first time. I didn't know any of this Brownsville stuff. I didn't know his upbringing. I didn't know the whole dove story. Pigeons. Pigeons. Yeah. The pigeons. pigeons. <laughs> Don't oversell the, the birds. <laughs> They're just pigeons. What is the difference between a dove and a pigeon, by the way? Dove is like a pigeon with a tuxedo on. Okay. It's like a very fancy pigeon. It's a classy pigeon, I guess. I didn't know the whole backstory of the pigeons and that like... I'm going through it with uh, my dog right now. I know you're not a dog person, but like when we talk about what made Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, and the story they bring up in Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York, his upbringing, um, where he's in a broken home, he's watching his his mother with her boyfriend, there might have been abuse going on in the household, and just being a kid watching this and, and moving from place to place, man, I don't think people... Where I'm from, like white privilege, Connecticut, like that is like a few miles away from Brownsville, have any idea what it's like to grow up in those in that environment. And the fact that he survived, it doesn't explain his his criminal behavior, explain all the bad things that Mike Tyson did. But man, I don't know how anyone survives that what he grew up in. I grew up and Mike Tyson was the baddest man on the planet. And I, you know, I've told this story on Bomb before about I've met Mike Tyson like four times in my life. And the first time I was like seven years old or something. Brownsville in the 80s was one of the worst neighborhoods in America. Murder, Inc. Yeah. And I knew the origin story. I we joked about a little bit on Bomb. We have said Batman has the worst origin story in all comic books. Mike Tyson has probably the best origin story or at least the most moving one. The idea of being bullied and then one day the bully takes it a step way too far by basically destroying a, a live animal and Mike beats the guy up. And, and that's how Iron Mike was born. The documentary definitely goes into real detail about just the abject poverty and the conditions that he was growing up in, uh, how he was basically neglected as a child. He was dirty and people made fun of his lack of hygiene. Uh, his mother was an alcoholic who would be become abusive when she drank and was uh, promiscuous. And the men she was promiscuous with would become abusive to her when they drank. And that even as they engaged in sexual acts, Mike was right there as a child seeing it. I mean, like, I knew he had it rough. I didn't know it was that rough. And then obviously, oh, I won't give away a spoiler alert at the end of the documentary, but we learned another piece of trauma that he underwent uh, that basically, you know, shaped, you know, who he became. And you're right, Tom, it's not meant to be an excuse or to condone some of the things that he's done in his life, but it does explain. Having things being explained, sometimes we're dismissive of it when the end result is something horrific. The reality is 
through explanation, we can understand how these things happen and try to cut them off at the past so they don't repeat with other people. Um, and, and obviously watching this documentary, Tom, you know, I was, couldn't help but think, and I know you, you felt the same way, about how many players in our league, in basketball, in the NBA, had to endure similarly tough upbringings uh, and then that manifests itself throughout their lives, even as adults. Well, the first one that comes to mind is LeBron James. On the cover of Sports Illustrated as a teenager, as the chosen one, and delivers mm-hmm. and exceeds every expectation. And you would think that someone like that might, who is that clean from a perspective of he's not in trouble with the law, he's not in trouble with the media, like he's not having these stains on his reputation from the time the he- The biggest sin he committed was was to announce where he was going on a TV, live TV special, which he donated the money to charity for. <laughs> like, think about that. That's your biggest flaw in life. It's pretty ridiculous. And the other thing was like the Hummer in high school where it's like- Oh, yeah. He gets a Hummer, but like Justin Bieber, if he makes a million dollars and buys himself a Hummer when he's 15 years old, no one has a problem with that. But when it's LeBron James and in high school and before he becomes an NBA player, it's a whole thing. But anyway, it explains so much of the behavior that Mike Tyson was exhibiting as he got older after his coach, Customato, passed away and how much that fractured a lot of the support system and the infrastructure in his life and his guiding light. But I mean, like when I'm sitting here watching, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the abusive qualities that he showed later in his life, that was normal to him. That was the norm yeah. when he was growing up. It wasn't a sense of right or wrong. It was, this is the only thing I'm exposed to in my life, in my childhood. The, the ethical code is just rotten. Everything around him is violence. He grew up, grows up where he's bullied. Um, he's called Dirty Mike as a kid because of his personal hygiene. And then like when the bully comes up to him and just decapitates essentially his pet right in front of him, and he resorts to violence, well, guess what? Because everything in the community is violent and dark and evil and just like, that's the resort. I wouldn't say evil because that, ins- that insinuates that it's like born in- into you and it's more nature than nurture. This is all, to me, 90% of what Mike Tyson became, the good and the bad, is a lot of just nurture stuff. Like nurture, what his environment created this killer in the ring. The name that came to my mind, while I'm watching this, is a name that's very relevant and topical right now. And that's Kwame Brown, right? And, and Kwame Brown obviously doesn't have the off-the-court history of incidents like, like uh, Mike Tyson did or does. But I thought about a couple of things. One, about how Mike was at his best professionally and emotionally when he had that solid, structure system there were a lot of guardrails there helping him figure out life and the moment that was kind of removed was when things fell apart for him the other thing i think about so i think so that makes me think about kwame brown and you know people always a bust and all that stuff but it's like this is a guy 18 years old grew up again abject poverty a brother that was incarcerated a father that was incarcerated a mother that worked God knows how many jobs just to put food on the table. Uh, And then he goes to the NBA, is handed a bag of money, and really no structure or guidance. Nowadays, I think the NBA as an entity and the individual teams do a much better job of giving a support system to these young athletes as they enter the league. But back then, it was like, all right, man, you got drafted. Like, you just like one of these grown men over here. Go ahead, figure life out. And Kwame didn't really get to do that. He, he, he was, I mean, he was just kind of a guy who was overwhelmed by the realities of what he was going through. And so now you hear him lash out, whether it's to Steven Jackson or Matt Barnes or Stephen A. Smith or whoever. And these are the words of someone who's carried a lot of anger and hurt and pain, hasn't necessarily had an opportunity to work through those things. And within the anger and pain, when you hear him, cursing out these people. Some of the stuff he says is accurate, worthy of further thought. Fair. It's like within bounds. Yep. And then some of it is just like absolutely abhorrent language. But again, it's easy to discard Kwame Brown as, oh, see this 
athlete, da da da, who doesn't respect women and doesn't respect. But it's nice to get explanations because explanations help us. It may not help Kwame Brown. It may not help Mike Tyson, but it'll help someone else who's coming up right now under really tough conditions to have someone understanding, greet them earlier in the process rather than later afterwards when, you know, they've already gone through whatever they've gone through. And it's almost like uh, the same parallel is that Mike Tyson was the youngest heavyweight. And so Kwame was uh, not just the number one pick, but straight out of high school and a big man, which is different than Kobe. Right. And so there's almost this rite of passage that older people are harder or harsher on those, those high schoolers preps to pros just by virtue of like, knocking them down a peg, like, oh, number one pick, 18-year-old, you think you're hot shit. There's almost this uh, assimilation that they have to do where it's just people are, are not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. They're going to be harder on you and not treat you as an equal. And I think that's changed. Like you said, I think in the NBA now, rather than like knocking you down, I think teams are now wrapping their arms around you a little bit and giving you that support network because they find that you know honey works better than vinegar in that sense. And, and Mike Tyson got a lot of vinegar coming up. Yeah, and the reality is this person, if in the most cynical way you look at it, this person is an investment, right? That's why you draft a guy who's young because you believe his upside later is going to be enormous as opposed to, you know, the college senior who maybe is more ready to come out and play right now, but isn't necessarily, you know, okay, you know, obviously there are exceptions everywhere as he points Tim Duncan behind him. Uh, but, you know, isn't necessarily going to give you the, the same kind of upside. I think about a player like James Wiseman for the Warriors, uh, a player that for Warriors fans, and I'm sure even the coaches, presented some frustrations about how he just doesn't do this well enough, as well as the Kevon Looney, who's been in the league a bunch of years. The reality is Kevon Looney is who he's going to be. And that's good. That's good. But you didn't draft James Wiseman second overall to become Kevon Looney. Drafted him because he has a chance to be one of the best players in the league, but that comes with an investment. Investment in time for them to get better skill-wise, investment in time for them to get better IQ-wise, but also investment in them as human beings to be balanced emotionally because being 19 and a millionaire and in one of the most expensive cities in America and with superstar teammates who are Hall of Famers, who have all these banners you look up, they're they're living legends. That's a lot. It's a lot for a kid to process. And if your whole thing is like, well, he's not as good as Kevon Looney right now, and that's the reason why you trade him in some deal for a kind of normal or regular uh, tenured player, I think that just, it misses the point. And that's why I go back to always, man, we got to get these explanations because within the explanation, we'll have a clear idea of, how to treat the next level. Right. And it's almost like you want to paint, you want to blame Mike Tyson for his behavior later in life. But I don't think blame is the right word. I think it's, un, it's a, a lot of empathy that we need now into, in 2021 is understanding that it's not just that he's a bad person that he's doing some of these things. It's not absolving him, right? It's just understanding where he came from and the whole LeBron James, he shouldn't be here. Like he, I'm not supposed to be here. Like Mike Tyson, in the environment that he was hardened through, I just, it's amazing that he got out at all. This documentary, there are a couple times that I just like lost my breath. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. This really happened. Was the Barbara Walters interview. When you watch this Barbara Walters interview, it is going to blow your mind what happens. Mike Tyson and Robbie Gibbons are doing a sit down with Barbara Walters. Mike Tyson is doing a sit down. And then Robin Gibbons decides midway through she wants to be a part of the sit down i can't think of an equivalent to today no what that would look like i mean if it happened today i would immediately say stage social media event i wouldn't even think twice that like yeah they planned it to be like this but that was that was impromptu and you know when you guys watch the documentary you'll see no that that happened that wasn't like uh okay i'm gonna do this and then you do that I, i think that sequence and then the other thing where they went really in-depth into the rape case in Indianapolis, like the events leading up to it, the incident, uh, and then the prosecution and the trial and eventual conviction. That's really, really, look, that's a conversation. 
even as I was watching it, it was a conversation that I thought was difficult. I know we want to make things simple and easy and straightforward. And yes, he did it. No, he didn't do it, whatever. But the reality is it's a lot deeper. There's a the New York Times columnist in there who was kind of explaining some of the complexities here is that you have black women who have a history of having things done to them with no sort of protection. But then the perpetrator in this case is a black man. And black men have also had a history of things done to them with no protection. And it's like the idea of yeah. a black man accosting a white just man. Beyond that, just black men in the judicial system. Not a great mix in this country, right? Unless in this case, it's the assault of a black woman in which the judicial system doesn't do much to protect them either. And so you have these conflicting, really painful histories and relationships between both sides towards not only one another, but to a, a country and a system that was, for all intents and purposes, designed not to give a shit about them. How do you then prioritize, right? How do you prioritize? How do you make sure that A, women are not sexually assaulted? B, that if they are, we take them at their word and do not feel, make them feel dismissed or ostracized or whatever for saying it? Well, at the same time, how do we support black men who, who are going through a judicial system that is quick to convict and maybe not so quick to really take all this, the, the facts to the table? I thought it was really interesting. Carl Douglas, he's a lawyer, he's a big-time lawyer, civil rights lawyer, but one of the breakout stars of the, the O.J. Simpson documentary. I would listen to him talk all day. He's so knowledgeable and so a knowledge of, of the history of things and also a, a legal Great legal mind. And you hear him all the time on the Levitard show. He's a frequent guest there. Him saying if there had been at least one black attorney on Tyson's defense team, they wouldn't have lost that trial because they simply wouldn't have gone with the defense that they went with, which is a defense which at its core confirmed, yeah, black guys out of control. You should have known better. They're animals. Yeah. I don't want to go too much deeper because I want everybody to be able to watch it for themselves again on ABC Tuesday, May 25th at night, replaying on Hulu starting on Wednesday, May 26th. And then also part two comes out Tuesday, June 1st, replaying on Hulu Wednesday, June 2nd. I want everybody to, to get an opportunity to watch this and form their own opinions and all that. But I thought it was really well done, delicate approach to a very delicate issue. I fell in love with Rosie Perez watching White Men Can't Jump when I was a kid. And I fell in love all over again in this documentary. When you watch this, you're going to, she is a star. I mean, she is incredible on this documentary too, because she's not just a boxing expert, but she grew up and knows everybody in this story. And then there's, if you didn't know about the Tupac connection with uh, Mike Tyson as well, there's that too. Donald Trump is in there too. Oh, it's everything. I think Shaq even visited Mike Tyson in, in jail, like all this stuff in the documentary that just, I didn't know. My favorite part was guys who fought Mike Tyson being interviewed. Revered, just being like, yeah. Like the- I was I was glad to take a punch almost in a Don Shampoo way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly what I thought about. I thought about Don Shampoo when I saw that. And then it's funny. It's great. <laughs> It's interesting. It's thought-provoking. Definitely watch it. Mike Tyson, The Knockout, ABC, Tuesday nights over the next two Tuesdays, and then replaying on Hulu the next day. Man, that's some heavy shit. That is some heavy shit. I mean, we got a segue here from the heavy shit- Can we lighten it up? To the biggest heavyweight in Hollywood, Jerry Ferrara. Oh, I thought you were going to go with some heavy shit, to some heavier shit. The Knicks. Oh my God, now I'm really depressed. <laughs> Down 0-1 in a series. No, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Jerry's a good friend and one of the biggest Knicks fans and also someone who's been ducking me all year long because he's afraid he might jinx the Knicks. And he almost ducked me again, and we'll find out here on how we almost got a mix-up. Jerry Ferrar, I thought he was a catfish. This guy has been avoiding trying to talk about the Knicks all season long. We got him after the L. We got him after the L. I figure reverse psychology, right? We're down one. If we were up, if we won that game, do you think I'm on here? I'm not. No, no chance. No chance. No chance. That's Jerry Ferrara. You know him from Power. You know him from Entourage. And you also know him as the biggest Knicks fan ever who got cold feet and decided not to name his newborn son Julius. 
Yeah, it wasn't cold feet as much as it was like, what if he leaves? <laughs> you know, then, then that's going to hurt. It's going to be pain every time I look at my son. I mean, before you came on, he, he said he was seriously discussing the name Julius. Like it was on the table. Why would you go for like names of Nick's old that you know, like you can't be heartbroken about like Patrick or Houston? Is there not heartbreak with those names too? I mean, there's heartbreak with Patrick Ewing. I mean, you know, there's some heartbreak too. I know I get caught up in the moment. I was telling Tom too. Before the lottery a few years ago, I was like, if the Knicks get the one pick, this kid's my first son. His name is Zion. Like, that's not even a discussion. <laughs> and I knew right then and there, I sealed the fate that the Knicks would not get the number one pick. So baby and mama all happy and healthy. You're, you're playing man-to-man defense now rather than zone. Yes, everybody's happy, healthy. Um, what a charmed life my second son has in his three and a half weeks of existence. <laughs> the Knicks are like six and two with a four seed. Now they're down 0-1. I'm like, oh, it's tough times for you, little man. Tough times. <laughs> and yes, we have switched from the zone. Like, I got the living room. You got the bedroom to now, like, take your man and lock him up. And let me tell you, I, a lot of ISO defense with my two-year-old. And he is lighting me up. I mean, mm, no help. No help. I'm like Frank. Yeah, no help defense. Anymore. I'm like Frank yeah. trying to make him go left, but he turned me around three times and tra- like <laughs> I'm getting exposed. It's what's happening. And you're not ready. Just like Frankie smokes. He goes out there cold, just going out there on the biggest possession of the game and having to guard Trey young. I mean, you didn't even get a lot of burn. Like you're just, you're just coming in there. Like, wait, I forgot. I have this other kid that I got to like be the number one defender for. Like that's something that parents they already have one kid they don't realize that that one kid that they already had is gonna become like 24 7 your kid i made the mistake of like you know when I, I would spend some time with the newborn and then i put him down i'm like oh wow this is nice you put him down he can't move he's right where you put him he's pretty quiet i could like make send some emails i'll get on twitter right now and then you know you switch back over to the other one who in a week you know grows and it's like oh now he's got like the dead accuracy when i pick him up with the kicks (laughs) dad he's dropped me twice in the last two weeks literally he's dropped me twice but all joking aside it's awesome i mean send help please tell me how to do this because i'm 41 i am tired man i am i'm no taj gibson out there no look and it gets worse because (laughs) soon they're both are going to be mobile like right now one's a catch and shoot you don't move from the corner and the other one kind of gets around soon they're both going to be like multifaceted players and then you know what that's when you got to call help defense from mom and dad or mother-in-law the father-in-law whatever it is aunties uncles you name it we got to get more people got to pack the paint Otherwise, we're just going to get lit up out ice. here. Ice! You're going to hear me screaming, ice! <laughs> <laughs> You're going to sound like Tibbs. Your voice is going to be all hoarse. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait, but I'm also terrified. We haven't talked to you in a while about, about the Knicks. There's so much to get into. Uh, happy the family's good. You're out in Cleveland now. You're 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 just – we were just talking to me, and he he just did a hit with Brad Doherty about uh, the, the Cleveland Riverfield Coliseum or whatever that was way out in the farms of Cleveland. And uh, so he's he's doing the suburban life during during the pandemic. He's he's out there, and the Knicks are in the playoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? But here we go. Down 0-1. The weird unibrow covering from Trey Young. Like I don't know what that's all about. But how did you feel after Game One? Did it feel like the Knicks are back? I'm seeing fans at Madison Square Garden, and we lost in heartbreaking fashion. So much to unpack. And first of all, it was great to see that garden like that. I I honestly, between the Knicks not being good and then the pandemic, I just never thought I'd see that, or at least for another decade of whatever ended first, the Knicks being bad or the pandemic, I wasn't quite sure what would end first. Um, So that was great. And look, I obviously, I do think it's the most fun matchup of the first round. Obviously I'm biased, but I think these two teams match up so well. I really thought that, that I, I give a ton of credit to the Hawks because that game, that game, that lead could have ballooned to 12 points easily. And freaking Bogdanovich every time, oh, just yeah. like that dude. I, I'm, I'm the most, I'm more scared of him than Trey Young. Like you know, Trey's gonna get his. Bogdanovich is just a scary one. And um, you know, I, I just really thought we should have put him away. Now I'm concerned because that was a lot of minutes, obviously, for Derrick Rose. We know that. I don't think Burks is going to look like vintage Michael Jordan night in, night out with, with fadeaway jumpers like crazy. And, uh, you know, now Noel's banged up. So 
it was a lot of effort to not come away with the win, and that scares me the most. And then we can talk about the Frank Milikina thing. Like, I know he did it, I think, before the half, or maybe it was at the end of the first quarter. And I normally like stuff like that, but maybe not end game, last possession. I, I, I don't know. And I, again, you guys are smarter than me when it comes to hoops. Like, it looked to me as like it was designed like, hey, Frank, no matter what, make him go left. That's where the help is. Sell out on the right side and your help. Because how else could there be no help on the right side? How? On Trey Young. So lastly, Trey Young, you're awesome. Now you got to commit fully to this sh- thing. Like you got to go all in. Now you're committed. You're in the poker hand. You put it, you got a lot of chips in now. Now you got to go all, you got to double down on it. You got to go all in on it. You can't just back away. I want to hear you shushing in the second quarter, not at the end of the game when you go up to. That's my take. I'm sitting here trying to think, Trey Young, is he instantly in like the top 10, top five of uh, Nick's villains? Like what does that list look like to you, Jerry? Well, obviously, it's Jordan, it's Reggie. The Heat collectively were, as an organization, were that. Look, he's he's not in the top five, but he, if he plays his cards right, he could be. What about active current right now in the NBA? Who are the most hated? I guess you call them Nick Killers because he killed them the other night. Well, I think you just put Durant on the list because of the whole, is he coming to the Knicks? And now he's, oh, I think yeah. he obviously goes on the list does lebron like lebron spurning you guys in 2010 and then going to la it just feels like why why not us lebron doesn't do it for me as a villain uh i've been to a few lebron games at the garden i don't the garden's never like boo i think they just get psyched to see him yeah and he also he doesn't really like durant was the one that beyond not go, coming there he made it a whole thing he talked about the name about nobody wants to play there nobody remembers when they were good I think LeBron has always been kind of respectfully declining right. the New York Knicks as opposed to Durant was kind of very brazenly saying, ah, to hell with those guys or whatever. Oh, Porzingis for sure now. Oh, oh. yeah. Porzingis oh. might be number one. But you know what's funny? He's number one because of the success. Of course. Like, it's because we're doing so much better than you. You're not quite happy over there. Meanwhile, the guy that we signed to replace you as all-star, all-NBA, maybe on the MVP ballot, and we've got these two picks to boot. There's definitely, Porzingis is on the list, but I feel like if Porzingis were better, yeah, he'd still be on the list, and they'd be mad that he was so good. No, he's just on there. Yeah, he's there, uh, but I think Durant's number one, because obviously, too, the fact that he's in Brooklyn. With the Porzingis thing, it's literally like he broke up with us, and then we went out and got in real good shape. And then he saw us again. It was like, oh, wow, <laughs> okay. Didn't know you had that in you. So, but they're, I mean, and look, they're still with and without them. They're having a lot. I was, I was super pumped up with Dallas getting off to that bad start because every Nick fan was like, we got their pick. But of course they, they went on a great second half run. We're going to try to fill out this top five list. So we got Durant, we got Porzingis, we got Trey Young. I need two more slots. Who's like really hated in New York? I'm trying to think, the, the Celtics? We've actually had good success against the Tatum, mm. Jalen Brown kind of combo. Mm. Um, so it's not quite that. Uh, that You could say maybe Jimmy Butler. Because of the Miami thing, yeah. Yeah, just by proxy. The Miami stuff, and Butler just plays so hard. You know, but now, Trey, I mean, Trey Young has actively climbed the ladder, and you could arguably say he's like three or four, right? I mean, definitely right now, but that's why I want him to double down. This is good for basketball. This is good for everybody. Villains are good. Double down, Trey. To answer your question, by the way, yes, because Taj is coming up here. Frank's mission is to contain, basically. Look, you, the only other direction you're going to go is back towards Taj and then just kind of trap him right there, and he got him on the outside. But in his defense, like you said, man, like it's hard to sit out 47 and a half minutes and then for your first playoff appearance of your life, he's never played in the playoffs before. Yeah, great point. Yeah, To come in and guard this guy who's been killing the team all day long cold not even like a warm-up or a lather on you or anything dare i say it, even for a vet that would be hard let alone someone who's brand new but i don't hate the call because if frank does get him to the left side they're able to trap and that ball comes out of trey's hands and deandre hunter misses a three you say wow what a great call by tips put frank's long arms in there and what a great call to get the ball out of Trey's hand. It just didn't, you know, it was a tall task. Also, the other thing that happened was Julius Randle fell asleep, allowing Gallinari to get inside position on him. So now he's fighting that as opposed to being in help. That hurts, and it hurts on a day where Julius Randle was pretty much trash in every regard. Don't forget, Nerlens was out. 
So if you're funneling him towards the the paint for a floater, it's not Julius Randle coming in for the for the SWAT. It's Nerlens. And with him being out, it means so much. It's so much more imperative for you to get that trap and get the ball out of Trey Young's hands, because then you're just you're not playing into the teeth of the defense with Julius Randle as as the rim protector. I think if Julius Randle wasn't beat on this side over here, he could at least made it harder. I mean, that shot wasn't hard for Trey, man. That no, was, that's that's literally a light. That floater is a layup, you know. That's a drill for him. Yeah. Tibbs has gone to his defensive lineup. Nila Keela in the game now, defensively on the point. Let's see how they play this. Here is Young. Finds his spot. Young on the floater. Puts it in. Trey Young with a miraculous shot. Our guy Mitchell Robinson in in DMPs is definitely making some money because he would actually be the perfect antidote for everything that the Hawks are throwing at us. I mean, they would still score. The Hawks offensively are great. But someone who has that fast twitch jump that could bother the floater. And obviously, Capella gives us such a hard time. It's like Capella kills us. And... Mitch would really help us a lot. I mean, he'd help us in any series, but the Hawks particularly, Mitchell Robinson would be a huge help. So I'm waiting for that Twitter hit. Like, oh, Mitchell Robinson participated in contact. I was like, yo, he broke his foot. <laughs> like, he's a big man. Like, they're not going to rush him back for them. He waited too long. He's not going to rush him back. When I was watching the game, I was blown away by, like, how many bucket getters there are in this series. Like, D-Rose, IQ, Lou Will, who like carried the Hawks at the end of the third and early fourth. He killed us. Was getting these buckets. And then he had this like cross court pass. I was like, is that Trey Young or Lou Will? He was carrying that Hawks offense for a while. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich was. And Burks. Burks was incredible. And it was just, man, it was super fun to watch that game. At any point, that could have really turned into a 12, 13 point lead. And I really do think that that was like, that's the Randall portion of the offense where. You know, the guy that could just go get you a bucket every time. I mean, Burks held on, but without Burks, the way Randall played, we would have, we might have got blown out. That game didn't even start out too well. So I'm just worried, man. I, everyone was like, oh, we want the Hawks. We don't want the Heat. We don't want the Bucks. I'm like, of course, but I, I, I'm not that comfortable against the Hawks either because that last game, if Trey didn't get hurt, I think they would have blew us out in that regular season game. If Trey didn't get hurt. So, Jerry, let's let's take a step back, right? Like, and put everything in perspective. Because this season, no matter what happens, you guys could get swept by the Hawks. Success. This season was a smashing success. So, I want you to take us to what the darkest moment was prior to this season. What was the low point? I'm not saying that Jay Farrell was ever going to quit being a Nick fan, but it made you look in the mirror and ask yourself, what am I doing day after day? I know there was a year, I don't know if it's in between Porzingis and Frank or in between whatever pick was before Porzingis and Porzingis. The year where I think we won like whatever, 17 games and we didn't have a first round pick. That really was to me like, and I still watch and I still go and I'll watch anyone play basketball, but it really was hard to watch getting blown out by teams that weren't even good. That was probably the darkest time for me. And then obviously we draft Frank and then it's like, oh, maybe he, he's not the point guard. And then, you know, Phil drafts him for the triangle offense and then we fire Phil Jackson finally. So it's like, oh, great. You let him make the pick on his way out the door. That was awesome. Those are pretty dark times right there, man. That's, that was about as dark as it got for me. The season you're talking about is 2014, 2015. They won 17 games. And then uh, somehow their first round pick was Jerry and Grant. That was their rookie that year. And they traded, I think, for that pick. I think they had to make a trade to get him at like, what, 20 something. I think they traded into the first round to get him. So yeah, that was darkness. I think we got in a fight on Twitter, Jerry, because I picked Jerry and over D Rose at one point because you were like, name, it might've been you, Jerry, where you're like, name five better. It was some sort of debate about D Rose, like if he was healthy or not. And I was like, I'd rather have Jerry and Grant than D Rose at this stage of his career. You were right because D Rose came back and was incredible in this. But role. not in the moment. Uh, you were right in the moment because D Rose's first stint was was not a successful one. And I tried defending that, and you guys took me to task on it. And for that moment, you were absolutely right. Just didn't hold up over time. <laughs> Yeah, D Rose. He, I mean, his floater game. He's, I mean, he in in this role. It's like, how, what what do the Knicks do with with quickly and Rose and Burks and I mean, they just got so many guys who can just get you buckets in that second unit. It reminds me, like, Alfred Payton. What is he doing starting on this team? Like, what's going on there? That's what I want to talk to you guys about, right? And 
again, I look to you guys a lot of times for these answers, right? So I get the whole, hey, that's just the way the rotations are working. It's worked all year. Peyton kind of sets the table. You know Peyton can play D. And he's even – look, for not having a jumper, I still don't know how Peyton gets to the basket the way he does and actually gets six, eight points a game. Like, people sagging off him by four feet, he still gets to the bucket. That being said, he's definitely lost some confidence as it appears. So I'm wondering, being that now this is the playoffs, okay, and we like you got to shorten the rosters, is there a move where D. Rose starts and then quickly assumes the backup role that Rose had, or does that mess up too much what the second unit's arguably, I'm not going to say they're better than the first because obviously Randall's not really in there, but that second unit with Burks, Rose, quickly, and whoever is pretty deadly. So is there an adjustment there where maybe Rose becomes the starter, quickly picks up some of those minutes, and you just figure out how to get the rotation right for the last two minutes of the game? I was surprised at how much Tibbs was leaning on Obi Toppin and, and quickly in this game. I think he should play more, by the way. I think Obi Toppin should play more. Not a hot take. A little bit more. Not 30 minutes a game. Yeah. <laughs> a little say. bit more. But I just didn't think that Tibbs would trust the rookies in this in this scenario. And it like in your in your question, it's like, all right, if D Rose steps into the starting lineup, he's already getting 38 minutes, right? So D Rose is already getting starter caliber minutes. It's just whether he's gonna lean on Tibbs is gonna lean on quickly in those backup point guard mo- um minutes and share it with Alec Burks with the ball handling. Cause if we know anything from Tibbs, he's going to ride his horses, right? So if he's not, if he's given up eight minutes a game to Alfred Payton at the top, who's going to fill up those eight minutes on the back end? And it's probably going to be IQ. Yeah. I don't know if it, look, I don't know if that's even a smart move. Like I said, uh, you know, rhythm routine, everybody kind of knows exactly where they're jumping in here. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, would you tinker with anything right now? Might I suggest is going to sound crazy. More Frank Nilakina minutes. Why not start Frank? Just something to slow down, like Agitator. just to make Trey yeah. have to work. Yeah, like it doesn't really matter if Frank hit, hits his one customary jumper a game or whatever. It's just you're out there to make life more difficult for Trey Young because we know this Atlanta Hawks offense is really heavily centered on Trey Young either scoring or making plays for other people. So if you can kind of, I won't say neutralize because he's too good for that, but if you could just make his life harder, make him work, make him work. You know, I think about what Portland did to Denver in game one. They didn't stop uh, Jokic. A guy had 35 and 16 or something. But he had one assist or two assists for the whole game, and that threw off everything else for, for uh, Denver's offense. Same thing here. If Trey Young lights him up, let him light him up. But if you can make it so that no one else is basically benefiting off of Trey Young's exploits, then mission accomplished. And then you don't have to worry about starting Rose. I think something else might happen there too. And I, again, this is total fan. Like I'm from the couch saying this stuff. So uh, <laughs> I ain't trying to question coach of the year. Right. We all are. Look, Peyton, even though he doesn't necessarily score and have like perimeter threat, but he does run the offense in that first eight minutes, right? He is setting stuff up. Frank, I don't know if you really want to rely on that. So then maybe you turn that over to Julius right out of the game. I mean, he runs the offense anyway for the, Basically, the ball goes through him anyway. So maybe that even helps get Randall in rhythm. If it's Frank, who just brings the ball up, hand off to Julius, top of the key, and get him going. Because at least Frank, look, Frank's not a great three-point shooter, but from the corner, I don't know. I'd love to look it up. 35 40%. Like Peyton won't even shoot it. I love this idea because if you're going to have Trey, Trey Young be the villain in this, Throw the kitchen sink at him and just throw him off. Not let him get comfortable. And of course, he looked pretty comfortable there in that last possession, getting around him and then with the floater. But in basketball, it's not who you start, it's who you finish. When you can see who the coach trusts the most with defensive assignments, and clearly it's Neil Aquino. Haber Show listeners. Gotta talk to you about Manscaped. Father's Day is just around the corner and you probably need a gift for your hairy dad or if you're hairy yourself, like me, make your dad proud this year and get him a Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. Not 1.0, not two, not three. This is the fourth edition. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HABERSHOW, H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W. That's HABERSHOW. Use the promo code at manscaped.com. Look, I'm a hairy guy. I might not have hair on my head, but have you seen this chest? 
got some back hair too I probably should be taking care of. I've already put it on the list for Father's Day. My wife, I need to get the Lawnmower 4.0 and go get it for your father out there. It's the only men's brand dedicated to the below the waist grooming and it just launched the Lawnmower 4.0. Imagine surprising your dad this week. You're sitting down for some basketball, for some golf. Father's Day, probably gave him a cocktail. He's sitting there with a beer maybe. And just imagine him with a sleek, well-designed and optimized body hair trimmer that says, quote, your balls will thank you, end quote, on the box. The guarantee is right there on the box. That's a Tommy Boy line. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. And you might ask yourself, how is this lawnmower 4.0 different than the other trimmers out there? Well, this upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It's a great feature if your father or yourself do a lot of traveling. You just throw it in your bag. You don't have to worry about it turning off and on and losing its battery or mucking up something else in your bag. It also gives you the ability to turn on the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave. Yes, you can now shave your balls in the dark. Like if you need a little quick trim in the bathroom or in a shady spot at a party or something like that, you're good. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. I don't even know why you need a four, just go with one. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. And yeah, you heard that right. Wireless charging ball trimmers are a thing now. Have you ever seen a nose bush sticking out of your dad's nose? Well, guess what? The Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is the best nose hair trimmer on the market, and they provide a perfect gift for your pops. They also have other amazing products like cologne, crop mop ball wipes, crop reviver ball toner, and crop preserver ball deodorant. For all the females listening, you'll appreciate this part. Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and it is also vegan. Yes, it is a vegan ball trimmer. That sentence just came out of my mouth. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code HABERSHOW at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they will use. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code HABERSHOW. That's H-A-B-E-R-S-H-O-W. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. That's right. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. Promo code HABERSHOW. Bill de Blasio came out had a press conference wearing a Nick hat. This is about basketball. I have an important official announcement. Uh, this is very serious. Want to get this out? Uh, message to Trey Young uh, on behalf of the people of New York City and, and anyone who cares about actually playing basketball the right way. Stop hunting for fouls, Trey. Uh, I want to quote Steve Nash, one of the great player, great coach. He says, quote unquote, that's not basketball. Trey, Trey. That hawk's not going to fly in New York City. Come on. Play the game the right way. See if you can win. I think the Knicks are going to teach you a lesson. Now, this is normal. A lot of times you'll see the mayors of a city, like, support that team in the playoffs. However, it's been brought to my attention was this picture of Bill de Blasio wearing not only a Brooklyn Nets hat, but also a Harden jersey. And I ask of thee, what the hell is going on here? Like, can, can you play both sides if you're Bill de Blasio? Not in New York. I mean, look, I, if you, it's all good if you want to, you know, get behind the, the heavy favored nets. Like, I get it. Brooklyn's a great borough. Do it. Fine. He lives in Brooklyn, right? He's from Park Slope or where? I live in Brooklyn, too. I'm not rocking the nets hat, okay? I, I, <laughs> I grew up in Brooklyn. So I think that you maybe are a little tone deaf. In New York, like, we don't like that. You got to know that. Like, if you want to pick a side, that's fine. We'll have fun talking trash with you about it. But then you can't just go wear a Knicks hat. It's like everything I, I, I ask of any Knicks fan who is like, oh, I don't like Dolan. I don't like the Knicks suck. And you go root for the Nets. That's fine. Commit to that. Just commit. The other weird wrinkle here is that he's wearing the Knicks hat, but he's saying, as the great Steve Nash once said... <laughs> Play basketball. Those don't stop hunting for fouls. That's not basketball. And I'm sitting here like, you mean the coach of the Brooklyn Nets and you're wearing a Knicks hat and you're talking about the Knicks and the Hawks, but you're talking about the great Steve Nash, the head coach of the rival team in New York? Come on now. No one wins in this situation. Not one. Maybe Nick fans slightly win, but no, the Nets don't win. The mayor certainly might not win anything after this. And uh, no one wins after that, that, 
that weird decision to like, I get it. You're the mayor. I love New York. We love That's not really how New York works though. You got to choose a side yeah. <laughs> with sports. And also Trey Young had nine free throws. It's not like he had like 20 free throws and killed the, I complained a little bit about those calls on Twitter. Right. Uh, I just thought that that was different than the entire tone of the game. Right. The, the game was physical. I mean, we got away with stuff that was mugging and they got away, like the game was physical. Those were ticky tack star calls. But that's not the reason why the Hawks won. The Hawks won because they just took it and they they came, they every time the Knicks tried to pull away, they came right back and they executed. That's not why the, the Hawks won. But those calls sucked, especially that one on RJ. That was terrible. Terrible. When I saw him with the hat, I was kind of wondering where he was going to go with this. Like, is he going to go with like the showboating, like back it up in game two, Trey Young? Let's see it. What's he going to do if the Knicks play the Nets ever? My God, this guy's going to be like, I don't know what to wear. Uh, well, I've heard Knicks shirt, Nets hat. I don't know what to do. It's like wearing Nike and Adidas. He's going to do the, when Robin Lopez and Brooke Lopez's mom would go to games <laughs> where they're playing against each other, she had like a custom-made jersey that was half one, half the other. Sure. That's what he's got to do. That's what he's got to do, man. <laughs> I would just actually like to see that series happen to monitor. And if he doesn't embrace that and lean into the comedy of it, then he's missing the real moment. <laughs> have you seen the clips of Adam Sandler playing pickup hoops? I have. Have you played pickup hoops with Adam Sandler? I was invited a couple of times. It never worked out. Uh, I've not actually played any pickup hoops with Sandler. I wish I have because um, I've heard that like this is always a lot of fun games. And then, but yeah, I saw, I saw, I saw the highlights. I love it. Here's my thing. I don't know if people know. Like Jerry takes this shit seriously. Very. Jerry went to U- USA basketball camp. He was out there again, coached by Coach K. Sent you my box score, and you you critic. Oh, no. I had 15 points, right? I sent him in the box score. I was like, oh, 15 points on 16 shots. Really efficient, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, man, he was jacking out there. And he played for Van Gundy, too, right? Wasn't Van Gundy your coach? Van Gundy passed on me, and then Woj got Van Gundy to, to walk it back and said, you know what? I missed on Ferrara. I, I judged him based on his size. I didn't realize his heart was bigger than his height. I mean, just Jeff Van Gundy we're talking here, and he's saying he's a little too small. I mean, that. Jeff, that was you. That was you in college. Should have never passed on me. I was talking trash to him as well in our game. Every time I would score, I was looking at him saying, "You." I would have been terrible in the NBA. Honestly, if I was an NBA player, I would probably have taught, like, I might have been kicked out of the league. When you think about Adam Sandler as a pickup player, is there like a list of guys in Hollywood that you want to play or want to play pickup because you've heard that they play pickup and you haven't been on a run with them. Like who are the, who are the dream pickup guys? If there were, if there was a game going on in Hollywood for some sort of show, some sort of award show and everybody was in town, who do you want to see out on the court? You know, I've like studied this, Tom. I really have. Cause I'm also obsessed with like athletic performances and movies from actors. Right. And when yet when they get it right, it's great. And when they get it wrong, it like I can't watch the movie, right? And maybe you guys, I mean, on your other pod, you fire up some of those bad sports movies and just talk about the actual sports of it, right? So I thought about this. There's, there's no, like, big star names that I've ever really, like, been like, oh, that guy's great. Because even if you look at the, the actual, like, celebrity game, right? Like, there's just not a lot of guys. Like, so... I know Clooney's always had like a uh, amazing pickup game. Really? Just like from years, like when he would be on the ER set, there was like a court, not the Space Jam court on the Warner Brothers lot, but a different court that I know Clooney was always balling. And I know he had a court at one of his houses and there was, oh, I actually played at his house before, but he was out of town, shockingly enough. Oh. No, no, it was a trespass, and a good friend of his, who I also know, uh, was allowed to use the court on like a Sunday morning. So we got some some buckets up. You know, Wahlberg could ball. He, I don't think he plays anymore. Yeah, I, he works out a lot. I know that. Like he gets up at four thirty in the morning to go work if out. If you right? look back, you guys remember MTV Rock and Jock? Oh, of course. Today, some of the world's finest hoopsters and the entertainment industry's biggest stars join together in an event that MTV Sports has the nerve to call a basketball game. Hello, everybody, and welcome to MTV's first annual Rock and Jock Basketball Jam. So they had a celebrity dunk contest on a nine-foot rim. Now I don't know if Mark gets tons of credit. He was doing like some like between the legs on a nine foot rim and he's only i, I mean he, he's no six footer so uh 
Wahlberg can play. Lefty, too, by the way. Lefty. Marky Mark won the sibling duel, racking up 28 points to Dottie's nine. But it was Marky's now famous halftime exhibition that really scored points with the fans. Michael B. Jordan could obviously play. He's gotten so jacked, though, even in like the celebrity game. It's like, yo, man, you're like, you're going to just get, you're an offensive foul all day. He's so strong and big now. Yeah, but there's not a great list. Let's go opposite direction. Who's not good, but thinks they're nice. Probably every actor who touches a basketball. I got one that stands head and shoulders above everybody. I want to see what your pick first. Give it to me. Give it to me. Who? I don't have a pick. It's Bieber. Oh. <laughs> Bieber is trash. But Bieber, I played like... I don't know. He played in the in the celebrity game, and I swear to God, when I say he didn't pass the ball once, I think he might have shot it from the inbound as well. I got benched for him, I mean, in the one year I played at Staples. In LA, right? And I definitely had the starting spot. He wasn't slated to be there. He wasn't supposed to be there. So I'm telling Rachel, because Rachel was the coach, right? Oh, right, yes. You got to get his ass out the game. And Rachel's looking at me like, this is not a coaching decision. This one came <laughs> it's from upstairs. coming from upstairs. Let Bieber do whatever he wants, because you're right. He showed up like unannounced, basically. He's like, hey, can I play? And they just threw him a jersey. We're in the locker room getting dressed. We're all fired up. I got me and T-Mac. I'm like, T-Mac, let's do this. Like, I'm living my dream, right? And all of a sudden, I see a bunch of bunch of people, and I hear stuff. I'm like, what's going on? I even had my Kobe Jordan 3 packs on. Like, I would never wore them ever. I'm like, this is my moment. And through the sea of people, I see Beaver in street clothes. And he walks in, and literally, I see people scrambling trying to find him a jersey. I'm like... You better not take my jersey. This is not going to happen. Hey, he I don't even think he had the right color shorts on. I think mean, he just had like regular shorts. He had like red shorts, shorts, shorts on and a purple jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, I thought it was already decided. It was like starting line was like me, T-Mac, um, Terrence Crawford, and- My man from Ridiculousness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yes. Was there too. And I, I'm benched. I got, I got benched for Bieber. It wasn't the performance I was hoping for. If it's one thing to be get benched for- admittedly, like a huge star, right? I get it. That doesn't give him the license to play like an asshole. <laughs> that was my thing. It's like, we get it, buddy. You're going to play, you're going to get your minutes. But like, you don't look cool doing this. You know what? I don't think anyone's out here. Jerry's not a coach killer. Like, he's not someone who's going to go up and, and try to get the coach fired or try to pull some strings. He's going to be a good teammate and do what's best for the team. And he's not going to create this mutiny on the team. He's a great locker room guy, Jerry Farrar. Jerry, this is why, like, you always need a friend like me because I'd be the guy telling you, you got to blow this shit up, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Being nice and professional. I looked at Rachel a few times. I'm like, Rachel, we're down 12. Yo. It's not working, I, Rachel. I hit the only three of the game, and T-Mac was doing oh, the whole, man. like, I'm going to sort of play, but I'm also, like, I'm not trying to get hurt out here. He was close. Yeah. <laughs> T-Mac was coasting. Playing prevent defense out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, me and Rachel Demita could get buckets. Put us in. Who was it on the other team? Katie Nolan was coaching the other team. And Quavo got MVP, mm. was playing real hard and strong. And then there was, a, I'm forgetting his name. I think he's like a, a, like a gold medal runner, track star. But this dude was so, I've never seen, he's the fastest human being I've ever seen in, in close up. <laughs> I'm like, he was getting out on the break. I'm like, I'm not even going to try to run after him. And that's why I had a guard. When I got my eight minutes of celebrity time. No way. And the one thing I said, I'm like, don't make me, I don't, please don't let me guard Jason Williams. Cause like, I know he's doesn't, but I just didn't want to be a highlight or a meme. Mm. And sure enough too, as soon as I get in there, I'm like guarding Jason Williams. The whole time he's coming down the court. I'm like, Jason, don't do it. Don't do it, Jason. <laughs> We're too old for this. This is an exhibition. Okay. Everyone's here having a good time. Andre DeGrasse is who you're talking about, the Olympic sprinter. My Lord. <laughs> oh my God. That dude was a blur. He blacked out his name. Hey, you guard him. That shit ain't right, man. That shit ain't right. Hold on. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? You might as well just stay on this side of the right. court, wait for him to just get right. here. Can't even tell him to slow down because he doesn't have that speed. Like, he doesn't have that, like, mentality of, like, oh, yeah, I can shift it into, like, the first gear. He's a sprinter. This is what he does. I saw him at the shoot-around the night before, and I'm like, oh, my Lord, who is this? What is, what is happening? That guy is a blur. Rachel, as a coach, did she sit you down to talk about Bieber? She did not. You had to find out on Twitter, as they say. We did not have any discussions. I found out in the locker room when I saw him walk through and the whole <laughs> vibe changed everywhere. Everyone's vibes changed. It's like, oh, shit. And you're like, T-Mac, are you, you hitting the bench? Yeah. And I'm looking around, doing the math. I'm like, all right, starting five. It's like, it's like T-Mac, Wu, Candice. I'm like, oh, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, the playoffs are here, which 
means we're going to watch some basketball Wednesday nights. Every week we do a stereo live drop-in app where we do a podcast live. It's called Haber Show Live on the stereo app. Amin and I do the show where we actually watch the game Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time. We mix it up with the fans. We answer some questions. We do a little trivia. Now that it's the playoffs, you got to tap in to the Stereo app. Download the Stereo app. Follow me at Haberstro and follow Amin at Darth Amin and listen to us live, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on the Stereo app. Ask us questions. If you're watching something on the game you don't understand or you have a question you have a comment about the podcast we just recorded hit us up with a voice note on the stereo app join the show it's interactive it's super fun wednesday nights 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific follow at darth amin follow me at haberstro on the stereo app only place where you can listen live and interact with me and Mean on the haber show I've played a pickup in LA for, I, I started a game that still goes on even with me not there. I've played in all the games and the only other story I got from guys who could play, I think his name is Nicholas from Succession who plays the character of Greg. My grandpa has made it clear that if I want to secure my future, then I need to sever my links, negotiate a bit of a Grexit. I've played with him before, right? But I guess I've forgotten. This is like years ago. Greg and who? Big boy, 6'4" at least six, four, really tall. But so this is like 10 years ago. He, you know, he's up and coming doing this thing, but succession hadn't dropped yet. Nothing. I'm at a Knicks game one night. So this is obviously like at least three years ago. Cause it was pre COVID watching the game, sitting next to him. And we had like the cordial, like, Oh, what's up? What's up? Um, we kind of know who each other are. Wow. Nicholas Braun, six, seven, my Lord. Yes. Tall drink of water. So we go up at halftime to that little loungy area to get a drink. And, um, he's being real friendly. Like we know each other and I don't remember ever meeting him. So he comes up to me and he's like, Hey Jerry, what's up, man? I'm like, Hey dude, like, I love your work. Like you're killing it. He's like, yeah, we've met before. I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. Uh, he's like, I came to your game at the, the Beverly Hills. Y a couple of times? And then it all hits me. Wow. And mean mentioned my competitiveness. I'm like, I could be a real asshole in those games. Oh, wow. Uh-oh. And I'm like, oh, okay. No. So I waited my two minutes. I went back up to him. I said, hey, Nicholas, let me ask you a question. In that game, was I an asshole? And he kind of, in his own timing, was like, yeah, you were kind of an asshole. You, like, yelled at someone and told him not to come back. And, like, yeah, I would, I would no! categorize you as a little bit of an asshole. Oh, no. But, like, it was just out of competitiveness. You, got, you kind of yelled at me because you thought I tried to hurt you on a foul. I'm like, yep, I knew it. I knew it. Jerry, Jerry, you're out here excommunicating people from the pickup run? So that happens, and then a week later, I'm back at the Knicks game. Now I'm already in my seats. I'm with my wife. And then the very young and talented Timothy Chalamet. Oscar-nominated uh-huh. actor, like 20-something yeah. years old, yeah. yep. comes walking in. Every girl in the garden starts screaming, right? <laughs> Walks over, sits right next to me. It's like, Jerry, what's up? I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't, I can't. Well, how's this, how's he know me? We shake hands. So I'm like, hey, man, good to see you. I'm like, I'm, I lean over my wife. I'm like, I, I don't remember ever meeting him. I don't think I did, but maybe he's like a big entourage fan. He's so young. And then like he leans over, he's like, you remember we used to play basketball in Beverly Hills? I'm like, oh, God. Oh, no. This is all in the span of a week. I'm like, Tim, was I an asshole? He's like, no, you were great. The other guys were an asshole, but you were cool. <laughs> it's like, thank God. What I'm learning here, I mean, is if you're a talent booker on one of these shows, you got to find people who are in the circuit with Jerry Farrar because they're about to blow up. <laughs> you're out here being like, this guy has courtside seats at the garden now and he's just, he's just blown up. He's like the biggest movie star. I don't remember how he knows me. Might've met at this like red carpet thing. Maybe, I don't know. No, it's at your pickup games. Like if you are playing pickup with Jerry Ferrara, you are going to be ordained in Hollywood. <laughs> Tom, here's the deal. As a casting director, you have to go scout the Ferrara pickup game. <laughs> you can't ask Jerry because he won't remember. <laughs> He'll be like, what? I never met this dude in my life. And <laughs> like, actually... We have footage of you slapping them. We're talking about guys who could ball, right? So think about, uh, this is like I said, three years ago. I think Timothy was uh, 21 years old, maybe. We're literally talking about like the dude came to play. He was like 16. Think about like how much you changed from like 16 to like 22. He, I, I wouldn't have even recognized him. Yo, hold on. Is that your defense? I'm just saying oh, it was a puberty. long time ago. Puberty. Did he hit puberty? <laughs> and he could ball. I will, get, I will say both Nicholas Braun and Timothy Chalamet 
can both ball. They can play. What celebrity gave you work? Like, made you kind of like, I can't even come up with an excuse or like comment or like someone who can like actually who honestly i i don't have i'm not talking about who's good i'm talking about gave you jerry Farrar personally work you had no answers no because you gotta think about it like this anybody i'm guarding is probably <laughs> no but hear me out anyone i'm guarding is like probably five nine or under in a pickup game right i'm not guarding someone six one right i'm not gonna say i've gotten the best of everyone because i have not but no one's gave me work in my prime at like 32 150 pounds ripped no one gave me work. I've lost some battles. Nobody gave me work in my prime. You've never been in a scenario, basically, where your man is scoring so much. Somebody on your team yes. makes the, the call out. Whose man is that? Who's guarding him? That happened, and it was someone famous, but not an actor. I used to go play at uh, Kevin Parker. would bring me. They, they would go play at Pauley Pavilion at like 6.30 in the morning during the week, right? Mm-hmm. So I show up, and they run the game real cool. They have like this other game on like the smaller court, and if you win that, then you get to play up on the big yeah, court. Yeah, you get the big court. So I'm on the big court, and it's UCLA. Guess who's on the other team? Tyus Edney. Oh. <laughs> and guess who, like, I got a guard. Tyus Edney. Dude, I mean. Because yeah. he's 5'9". Game. <laughs> by, by virtue of size, size matching. I was actually asking for out. I was like, guys, somebody switch. Somebody switch. Ooh, my, my hamstring. I think I just heard something. Yeah. He's, like, picking my pocket. I'm trying to bring the ball up. He's, like, I mean, it was just, like, I'm, like, please get me out of this. I'm going to call bullshit on Tyus Edney. You're a former pro. He was also going like 40% speed. He was not playing hard. Oh, man. He was just like, just goofing around and just embarrassing me. But great dude. I'd almost rather play like a forward or a big who's played in the league because at least they know I'm standing at half court and I'm just going to be like dishing and diamond everywhere. I'm not going to really play that all that hard. If you have like a guard who's playing in these pickup games, they go hard because they don't have that size advantage where it's unfair. They just go. Yeah, I, I'm really trying to think. I don't think any 5'9 or under actor gave me work that I can remember. Like I said, I've lost some battles. Oh, here, here's a question. Who did you give work? I don't want to. I don't want, you know what? <laughs> I don't want to call out no names. I'll talk to you off the pod. But some, <laughs> some, people, got, some people got work and, you know, I might have went Trey Young on him and told him to, to shh. Oh, no. <laughs> some guys got some work. They know who they are if they're listening. Tom asked about Sudeikis. Is Sudeikis a hooper? Never played with him before. I will say, though, I, I watched that one celebrity game he played in. The dude was like four for four from corner three and lefty and looked like he could play. I, I've actually never played with him before. Uh, I think mainly because he was more New York-based maybe. I don't know. Never played pickup with Sudeikis. Here's the question I have. I've heard from friends in your industry that the – unsung hero like this dude is nice nice for real and is known in the la area celebrity pickup hoop circuit roger lodge former host of blind date i've never heard that before i heard roger lodge is super nice i've never heard that really like prince level (laughs) he's not a a tall guy but like prince was like crossing up and telling people like talking trash and everything and no look passes. And- oh, oh, okay. You know who else? I don't think he has played in years, but we had a lot of basketball scenes in the movie. When I did Think Like a Man 1, we had all those basketball scenes with, like, Ron Artest. And, and so we were playing a lot of hoops in between. Michael Ely. Really? Mm. Michael Ely got long arms. Michael Ely could dunk. How tall is he? Michael is about six, I think six foot. I always thought he was short. I don't know why. No, no. He's somewhere in the 5'10", uh, six, six foot range, I guess. And you could tell, like, he, he hadn't played in a while. But, like, just one of them guys that, like, oh, this is, like, easy for, like, you're just graceful with it. Yeah. And, look, we, all the games we played, Kevin Hart had a jumper, man. That's why I was always surprised. Kevin Hart could play. Kevin could play, which is amazing because he's probably about up to my hip in size but he makes up for it yeah he's just having fun in the celebrity games i guess because he could really ball no he could really play and the thing about him that i don't think people realize is he's strong as shit oh god yes what do you mean they don't realize i mean that dude is like built like brick man no but i'm saying on a basketball court people don't think about that they just see like a little guy scurrying no, he's around. real he's, he's like real strong. strong kevin's real strong that's all i got on the celebrity basketball circuit and i've been out the game for a minute so hey jerry Get a little jealous of like Tracy Morgan and them on courtside, like watching the game. 
I won't say jealous, but I, you know, I definitely wanted to be there. I don't think no matter where I was in this current moment with the newborn, I was really venturing out. You can't call up the Vincent Chase PJ and, and get out there for, for game two. I just don't think, I don't know if my wife would have been down with that. Smart. <laughs> like, yo, you're leaving your two kids go on a plane and go courts. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. I think I'm already getting a look right now doing this podcast. I think I'm already getting a look. <laughs> they already got rid of the zone defense. There's no help defense now. Now you're going to walk away, you're going to do a two-on-one drill yeah. while you're having fun at Madison Square Garden? And the team jet no longer exists. There's no team jet, all right? So I'll be out there in my in my SUV driving, like trying to get to the <laughs> Madison Square Garden. But a finals game, though? Finals game, and you got a three-week-old, and you got big Julius out there? I would work it out. I would be there. I would work it out. Only because uh, it's just historic. You don't know if, if the one you'll ever see it again. So I would I would work that one out. I would trade everything off. I'd be like, I'll do whatever you need for the next however many years of my life just to be at this game. So uh, I would make that one work. Yes. That's funny. Hey, tell Brienne not to worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, She's I don't think that's happening. Good. She's safe. It's all good. <laughs> yep. You're right. <laughs>